I have prayed a lot about this sermon. I know I always say that, and y'all go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've had dreams about this sermon. The lights are like, anyway, sorry. Can y'all like, it just seems like, are you out there? Um, And in looking over scripture this week and last week and looking over um, different passages of scripture, obviously we're in the time uh, of the 12 days of Christmas. We have finished Advent and uh, we will be celebrating Epiphany soon, but we are in the 12 days of Christmas, so to speak. And so looking at the Christmas story, I kept reading it and reading it. And something that jumped out to me that I never quite, I mean, I knew it. But something I really was not aware of, sort of the emphasis, I normally can talk on a good day, um, was how many times it said in the passages to Zechariah and to Mary and to Joseph and to the shepherds, do not be afraid. And that just kind of jumped at me, you know, and I, and I was kind of like, I don't want to preach on fear because that doesn't sound Christmassy, you know, it doesn't sound like hope, and you know, I mean, but I just kept getting that. And I have learned in, lo, these many years I've been alive, that, you know, when you kind of keep getting something, maybe it's important to go with it, as opposed to my good ideas. Are y'all with me? That should have been an amen. Okay, so the Christmas story starts out uh, with Zechariah. And in Luke, uh, the first chapter, I mean, the story kind of jumps around in the different Gospels. But in Luke, the first chapter, it starts talking about Zechariah. And, you know, it starts out saying, in the time when Herod was king. Now, Herod was not a good king. Are we all in agreement? I mean, Herod built these monuments to himself. There was no problem with his ego. You know, he built these monuments to himself, some still standing. And, I mean, not great, but they're still standing. And, and yet, the real story is about a baby. And what we remember from that time, besides Herod being unbelievably evil, is a baby being born. And so Zechariah was a priest. His wife, was all, Elizabeth, was also of the lineage of Aaron. So very godly people. They were in the line of the priesthood. Zechariah's name means Yahweh remembers. And so, or the Lord has remembered. So every time someone spoke his name, it was Yahweh remembers. The Lord remembers. And yet they wanted children. And they didn't have children. And they were old. And so the story picks up where... Zechariah is in the temple. The priest took different turns to go to the temple and do things. And the lot fell to him that he was to go in and to light incense at the altar of incense. And that was a big deal. And he went in and an angel appeared to him. And said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Do not be afraid. And so Luke 1 verses... 11 through 7, it talks about your wife is going to bear a son, and you will name him John. I mean, very specific, right? It wasn't like, it was specific. So many times we look at scripture, it's specific. And that's important because there are people who would say, well, yes, God loves you, but he doesn't really know you. But, you know, he's worried about, you know, childhood poverty or something like that. And yes, we're concerned about that, but God knows you. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows where you are. That's very biblical. So Zechariah, in that whole passage, 
Uh, Zechariah's kind of saying, well, you know, there's this thing. And it's my wife is, you know, very old. And the angel, so we know the story. But, but it, was, it was part of do not fear. Do not fear. Um, and so Zechariah was not able to speak until his son had been born. And he, he agreed, name him John. The next passage in Luke is Luke 1.30, where the angel Gabriel, angel was, uh, Gabriel was busy in those days, uh, Gabriel went to Mary and said, don't be afraid, Mary, and told her the story. And then she says, may it be to me as you have said. And so she didn't go into timeout, kind of like Zachariah did. Zachariah couldn't talk for a number of months. And Mary then takes off with the Magnificat. And quoting scripture. And women in those days didn't go to Hebrew school. But she evidently studied it because she knew Psalms. And, you know, she lets rip with this Magnificat. And which, you know, is sung about and all of that kind of thing. Joseph, Matthew 1, verse 20. The angel appears to Joseph in a dream. And says to him, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And then the passage that we all know and has been made famous in many ways, um, Luke 2.10. Let me talk to you a minute about the, and I'm going to read it, but the Charlie Brown Christmas story. And y'all are just going, oh my gosh, you know, she had a hard week and didn't have time to prepare. But in 1965 is when the Charlie Brown Christmas special was first aired on TV. The networks didn't want to do it. They did not want Luke 2 put in. They did not want him to use jazz music. And they did not want him to have children actors do the voices. And Charles Schultz held his ground, and they thought it'd be a failure. They were just like, we are just throwing money away. And that show has been shown every year since 1965. And the declaration of the gospel is in it. And all over the world, you hear, when you hear Linus go up, you know, what is Christmas all about? And Linus gets up and he says, and we know part of the passage, I mean, he says, he says it differently. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then it talks about the angel, the heavenly host, and all that kind of stuff. That has been broadcast everywhere since 1965. I was eight years old. I remember seeing the first one. You can do the math. But, oh my goodness. And he won an Emmy. They thought it was going to be a dud. And he won an Emmy and a Peabody Award for it. And the music has, has been like four million copies. We were on a mission trip in Beijing, China years ago. The kids were little. And um, went into a Starbucks because they're everywhere. Also on the moon, probably. But we were, I was homesick. I, don't, I wasn't saying anything to the kids. But, you're, you know, mission trips are wonderful, but you want to go home. Uh, and I was ready to go home. And we walk in this Starbucks to meet this missionary. And um, the, the Charlie Brown music was playing. 
and we were just like, oh my goodness, you know, some of the jazz music from Charlie Brown Christmas. So kind of an amazing thing of how God works in ways that we don't always understand, but oh my gosh, you know, the gospel, I mean, think about it. Every year, the gospel is shared because of the Charlie Brown Christmas story and a guy who wouldn't take no and wasn't afraid, even though he confessed he was depressed. But, he, you know, he wasn't afraid and he took him on. The issue of fear begins in Genesis 3 when the serpent deceived Eve and she ate of the apple and then she gave it to her husband and he ate and then later, the Lord God is, is looking for them, and they hid. Like you can successfully hide from God, but they hid. And he's, he was like, where are you? And they said, well, we were scared, we were afraid, and so we hid from you. We were naked, and we were afraid, and so we hid from you. And there starts... The, the whole concept of sin. So it begins, and we see it throughout Scripture. In Genesis 3, 2 is also the plan of salvation in the sense of the prediction, the first prediction of we needed a Savior, and he would come. I think talking about fear, it's not you know, easy necessarily to talk about, but it is totally about why Jesus came. And, and so, among other things, don't be afraid that phrase or fear not is found hundreds of times in scripture. Some say it's 365. I didn't count. I didn't have that kind of time. I thought we'd just start there and count all the way through. Is that okay with y'all? Y'all have a little time this morning? So I didn't look at all of that. And then, then there are places where it talks about fear, like the fear of the Lord. So there is a lot of references to fear in scripture. Some meaning awe and respect. Some meaning, meaning being afraid and literally trembling. So there are different versions of all of that depending on what is being said. But beginning with Abraham, God said, don't be afraid, Abraham. I mean, beginning with Abraham, don't be afraid. But I will make of you a great nation. And it goes on, I mean, through Jacob who you know, kind of had a hard time at different times. Joshua 1.9 is a very famous passage of scripture about be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid um, or terrified in the Amplified. Oh my goodness, this is Joshua. He was the warrior, right? He was the guy that fought the battles. And yet repeatedly at the beginning of Joshua and at the end of um, End of Deuteronomy, it will say, you know, don't be afraid, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Well, if they're having to say that, he probably needed it, right? And if there's 365 times at least of Scripture saying don't be afraid, I mean, is that in there just for grins? Or is it in there because we need it? The answer would be B, you know, we need it, right? Y'all with me? This is not about condemnation when people get afraid or scared because it happens to everybody if we're truthful as opposed to the children down here and the, you know, the little boy who are cool, the kids who are cool dudes and they're never afraid. And that's wonderful if that's never happened yet, but it probably will. We live in a broken world. 
It's something that everyone struggles with. We just do. And some maybe more than, than others. It's a normal response to difficult situations. If something difficult happens, normally we don't holler, oh, goody, you know? I mean, normally it's something that it can kind of grip you. Um, not always, but sometimes. There's, a, I think, a natural fear. Uh, you know, we kind of want, when we're trying to teach our kids to swim, and we're not wanting them to jump in the deep end, and they have no fear, right? Because they haven't choked on water yet. But try, you know, there's a, there's a whole thing about you can't be Superman and jump off the house. Gravity will happen, you know, and you're going to get hurt. So trying to help them understand what are, what's boundaries. But then there's also a different thing about fear, about storms that we can't control, or a diagnosis we get from a doctor, or things that happen because there's evil in the world. Sometimes fear is a very normal response. So there came a time in my life um, where I needed to, I grew up in a house where my dad struggled with alcoholism and he had tremendous anger. I mean, he would just, and, and when, you're, when you're mentally unstable and you're angry, that's kind of extra special. Y'all with me? And so when I was about 22, uh, a pastor's wife that I highly respected, Ann Morell, uh, told me she felt like I needed to go for inner healing. And I was kind of like, I really don't want to do that. And, and yet I felt like I needed to. And so I went to see this lady, and I think she was, from, she was from the South. She had a very deep Southern accent. She was about this tall. I mean, she was about five foot. And yet she was a mighty warrior, you know, just filled with the Spirit, incredibly strong. And the one thing I didn't want to do was cry because my father wouldn't let us cry. And so I didn't want to cry. And I'm driving over there, and if I had not promised Anne Morell that I would go, I would have weaseled out of it. You know, in the best sense of the word, weaseling. You know, because I just didn't want to go. And so I go to see this lady, and she opens the door, you know, and she's little, and, and I start crying. And I'm, I'm thinking, she's thinking, great. You know, Anne Morell sent me a real winner here, you know. And, and as we prayed, and it's about prayer, and it's about forgiveness. I saw nothing. I really felt nothing besides needing salt tablets because I was crying so much. You know, and I wasn't a big crier. But it was just a release. And as we were praying in her apartment uh, in Oak Cliff, uh, there was a car that started honking out, outside. And it was kind of like, you know, whatever. And so when we finished, and I, again, I didn't see anything. I mean, I kind of agreed with what she said, but it wasn't like going to the movies or something where you see this stuff and you go, oh, that's the key. Sometimes you're just aware of God's presence. And so we go outside and this man um, has parked in front of my car. And he evidently that was his parking place even though it wasn't marked. You know, it was just his place and I wasn't smart enough to know, oh, this is this psycho's parking place, you know. <laughs> and he is just screaming at her. I mean, it's the kind of thing you almost start laughing because it's like, dude... If this is what you get mad about, you know, what do you do when Vic's, we don't want to know. And, and, she, and he was just raging. And it was kind of funny, except it was kind of scary. Because you're thinking, you probably drive all the time, right? And you get mad like this. And she, at one point she said, please forgive me. You know, she didn't know it was your space. You know, it wasn't marked psycho space or anything like that, you know. And so at one point she said, 
please forgive me to him. This little lady, and he's a big guy. And he is like screaming, and then he goes, what? What did you say? And then he just kind of backed off, got in his car. I moved mine very quickly and, you know, went down the road. And I realized as I drove off that I wasn't scared when he was screaming. I realized God had done a healing, even though I really couldn't put a name on it at the time, but God had done a healing. And while it's not my very favorite thing to be around people that just go, oh, psycho, you know, at the same time, God did a work in me that I had no clue about. Um, Amazing. The time came that I felt like I needed to go see someone uh, for deliverance. And this is not like the movies, okay? This is like you and me talking. This is not like, ooh, scary or whatever, but it's just fear kind of gripped my life because of how I was raised. And so it was kind of an abnormal fear. I mean, I didn't like quake under the covers, but on the inside, in my mind, I would go from zero to a hundred when something was fearful. It wasn't just like, ooh, it's a tornado, but it's like, ooh, it's a tornado and we're all going to be obliterated and everybody's going to be dead. You know, y'all with me? Or are y'all like thinking, how can we go out the back door just quickly, you know, just stand? And, and I went to see a lady, and it was like you and me talking, and she just took authority over the spirit of fear. And I felt a real difference. Now, have I ever been afraid since? Yes. But, but I know how to handle it. I, I know to tell it to go. I know to, you know, and I'm sorry if I'm hitting your weird button, but I really felt I was supposed to say this because we all need ministry. And we all at times struggle with different things that have happened. And God doesn't want us to stay there. He doesn't want us to stay there. And so these were women that were highly educated and, you know, incredibly strong in what they did for the community and for the church and all of that, but just sitting with them, you know, you'd never guess that, you know, they did that kind of ministry. But it was incredibly powerful, and it it was incredibly huge for me when my father died. I was 22, and he took his own life with a gun, and that was pretty traumatic. After years and years and years of trying to keep him alive and walking on eggshells and all of that kind of stuff, then when it happened... Uh, sometimes when traumatic things happen, you can struggle with fear because it's just a normal response. And so after about a month, I went back to see the lady that I'd seen before, and she's with Jesus now. It's a long time ago. But she said, and she said to me the very words the surgeon said at the emergency room of Methodist Hospital in Oak Cliff, the very words the surgeon said. There was no way she could have known. I hadn't told her. God told her. Because sometimes those words just kind of press on your mind when you hear things you don't want to hear. Does that make sense? So just saying, we all struggle with fear. We all struggle with different things. It may be anxiety. And for people just to say, don't be afraid, even though that's in Scripture 365 times, I learned with anxiety to just say to people, don't be anxious. You know, I'm really grateful they didn't slap the fire out of me. Because to say to somebody who's anxious, oh, just don't be anxious, well, if they could control it, they wouldn't be. (laughs) Are you with me? I've done that so many times. I did it to Robert. I'm glad he didn't punch me out because it was just like that wasn't helpful. 
And so I kind of learned in, in walking in that way, that way. So when there is fear, when there is anxiety, when, when we get news we don't want to hear, what do we do? We remember who God is. And we remember what he says. And it's one of the important things about reading scripture because so many times things play in our mind and we think, oh my goodness, and yet what does God say? What does God say about you? What does he say? He who formed you, who knew you as you were being formed in your mother's womb, what does he say? What does he say about the situation? So kind of some practical things to go through. I know y'all are going to go, I knew that, I knew that. Too bad. You're going to hear it anyway. <laughs> Remember scripture. I used to pray over my kids when I taught at CCA uh, that they would not believe the tapes that played in their minds, but they would believe the scripture that they had memorized, that I made them memorize. I'm sure it was joyful for them, but it was, part, it was Bible. It was part of the grade. Psalm 56.3. David says, when I am afraid, I trust in you. The only thing that is not going to change is God and his love for us. We live in a world that changes. I encourage you, when you are struggling, as we remember who God is and what he says, that you hold on and you don't run. I don't think God runs from us when we're having a difficult time. I think it's easy for us to just go, you know, I don't like this. I don't want to deal with this. I'm just going to back off a little bit. When Robert was little, he's not here so I can pick on him. When Robert was little, I'm sorry that it speaks into the microphone as I, I'm about to tell my Klawana story and y'all probably don't want to hear that she was my first secretary, like I've had 85. Um, Robert would not hold my hand. I know that's a surprise, but when he was a preschooler, he had other plans, he had things to do, and one of them was not holding his mother's hand so that he would be restrained from whatever activity he had planned. And I had to hold his wrist because he'd weasel out of my hand. You know, y'all with me? Am I the only one that had a child like that? You know, Lauren was just, you know, and she didn't run off, but Robert, his spiritual gift was running off. So going through a difficult time when a couple of years ago, the scripture that so ministered to me was Isaiah 41, 13. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. So when things are difficult, when something's going on with the doctor or your job or whatever it is, you know, ask him for help. You know, what a newsflash. Ask him for help. Second Kings 19 is the story of Hezekiah, who was a godly king. He was an excellent king. Um, I mean, some things happened toward the end of his life. But Hezekiah was, the Assyrian army was the powerhouse in those days. And um, Hezekiah was trying to hold them off. But the Assyrian army was basically saying, we're going to come to Jerusalem. We're going to eat your lunch. You know, you're all going to be dead. And, you know, and they had done that to every other place. That wasn't like new news. The Assyrian army was marching through the land, and Jerusalem was next. And so they send these warriors to Jerusalem to announce at the, wasn't the town square, but to announce, you're all going to be dead by this time tomorrow. 
And Hezekiah, it says that, and Isaiah sent a word to Hezekiah saying, do not be afraid. The Lord says, do not be afraid. And so Hezekiah tears his robes and all that kind of stuff and prays, gets down on his face and prays and says, God, what they say they want to do is what they've done to everybody else. But God, we're asking you for help. I'm paraphrasing. He was being realistic about the situation. But he said, God, we need your help. And the Lord sent an angel and killed 185,000 of the Assyrian soldiers that night. And the, the bad guy gets up the next day. He has a name. I can't pronounce it. starts with an S. Look it up. But he, he gets up the next morning and goes outside of his tent. And there's 185,000 of his soldiers dead. So they decide to pack up and go home, which probably was a very smart thing for him to do. I think when we get afraid, it's important to ask God how to pray. Terry Moore is the pastor, senior pastor at Sojourn Church, which is a church like over there, not very big, but incredibly powerful in prayer and in worship and all that kind of stuff. And one time he talked about how that fear kind of was his thing, that it was easy for him to get into fear. And that one time, Susan was late, his wife was late to meet him, and so these thoughts start coming. Well, she's been in a car wreck. Well, she's been hurt. And he starts getting afraid. And of course, no, no information that that has happened, but he just is thinking. And then he said he felt like God said, pray for her. When you get scared like that, pray for her. And so when those thoughts came, he started saying, God, thank you for being with Susan. Thank you for watching over her as she drives. Because evidently that was sort of an I don't know. Anyway, you know, thank you for being with her. Thank you for protecting her. And he said the difference that made in his life was massive. The guy was a senior pastor. He had been in ministry forever. And yet that was a thing for him that he struggled with. And so when he said he started doing that, how things changed. I encourage you, if there is a place where you're struggling, to ask for prayer. We are a community. We're a family. Okay? We're not alone. I ask you to to think about if something is regarding provision, to ask him for it. You know, Lord, what is your provision in this place? And that's not always money. Sometimes that's peace. You know, sometimes that's healing or whatever. But God, your best, your provision... And then ask him what you're supposed to do about it. There have been times in my life when money was such a big thing because, oh, I didn't have any. And and it was like, I mean, I was working and all that, but things were incredibly tight. And God, I mean, just really miraculous, totally unexpected, no clue. This year, Liberty Mutual, you know, the big, you know, advertisements they have, I won't talk, well, I won't go there. But they said they overcharged me on my house, and so they sent me a check for $1,800. Well, I don't know about you, but that's a fair amount of cash for me. I mean, I was just like, (laughs) thank you, Jesus. My insurance agent says, yes, you know, my now insurance agent. So, you know, I mean, ask God. Do we ask him, or do we just go, oh, my gosh, I'm so broke, or whatever? As a church... Lord, thank you for your provision. You know, thank you, Lord, for showing us how to give. Thank you, Lord. The counselor that I go to see, Maria, 
who's amazing. Um, and she is one reason Robert is alive. Um, there are many, but she's one, as she helped him walk through the trauma of the abuse that he went through. Um, Maria repeatedly says she prays for this church because she knows how we give to people in the community and how we help people that need help. When we can, sometimes that money gets tight, but, but when we can, that's what we do. And she prays blessing over this church because she said you give alms to the poor and that God would restore that to you all. Prayed for Doug, you know, when he was so sick and, and he's still struggling with all of that, you know, for healing, for restoration. I think it's so important to thank God for his faithfulness. We're talking about a prayer series that we're going to do in the next eight weeks or so, reading the book Moving Mountains by John Eldridge. And I don't have my copy here. I left it at home, but if you don't have one yet and you still need it, we will buy more books. We were not able to this week just because of the short week, but if you don't have one and would like to be a part of that or just read it, core groups are meeting, there are Sunday school classes that are going to be studying it on Sunday morning, so there are different ways to be a part. I am not saying it's the Bible, okay? I'm not saying you will agree with every word he has printed, although I agree with most of them. But it's not the Bible, but it is good, and it will stretch you. It will stretch you. It at least stretched me. I encourage you, you know, so much of this is we need to pray. I think we need to thank God for his faithfulness. So often the seasons of our lives or looking back on our lives will say, well, oh, that's when this happened, or that's when somebody was out of a job, or this is when I finished you know, my master's degree, or there are different things that we mark our lives with. This is when my mom died, or, or whatever. But do we mark it with God's faithfulness? Do we remember, oh, Lord, that's when you did this, and it changed everything. Oh, God, that, that is when the person that needed hope found hope. As much as, as we mark our time, may we also remember to mark the miracles. Because a lot of times we forget. We're grateful, but we forget. Maybe that's just me. But just saying, you guys. How will you go into 2019? Because it's more than just turning a page on a calendar. Or your phone now. I realize that's kind of an outdated. You know, for those of you that still have paper calendars. Um, the Jewish community, when it is their New Year's Day, they have celebrated by the month before doing fasting and prayer and um, seeking God. On thanking him for, you know, what went well during the year and praying about what did not, and what, who did they need to maybe ask forgiveness, or whatever. That is the Jewish community, those that are involved in that. For much of the world, um, the New Year's Day, no judgment, no judgment, I don't care. But many people celebrate with how much adult beverage can they consume. 
which I never quite got because it's like, you know, doing that until you throw up, it's kind of like, that sounds pleasant. You know, let's, let's do that. Now, I mentioned fear and throwing up in the same sermon, so I'm probably in trouble. How will you mark 2019? And then how will you remember 2018? Back to Zechariah. His name is the Lord has remembered. And at the right time. See, I think we so get so excited about scripture and, and the things we want and when we're praying and all that kind of stuff. And as most people in Western culture, but certainly Americans, we want it now, right? We, God, I prayed. Why isn't it now? And Galatians said, when Jesus came at the right time, God sent his son. For Zechariah and Elizabeth at the right time, God sent a baby boy. Zechariah, whose name was the Lord, has remembered. The Lord has remembered. He remembers where we are. He knows where we are. He knows where you are. And it matters, and he cares. Herod was the one that so wanted all of the earth, he wanted to be remembered. And certainly he has been as a psycho. Um, because part of the Christmas story, part of the story is the angel speaking to Joseph and saying, get up in the night and flee to Egypt because there are those searching for the baby to kill him. And we know the story about the baby boys being killed because of Herod's demand. And yet, Jesus being born changed history. And John was the one to prepare a way for him. Now, oh my goodness. Just, just the whole concept of God becoming flesh and walking among us. I'd like to read a passage of scripture. <clears throat> From the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of God for the people of God.
Thanks be to God. I don't know where you are today. I mean, you're in church. But I don't know how things are for you, how you were doing, how 2019 looks, how 2018 was. I don't know that. But I do know that God is faithful to wherever we are. He is faithful to us as a church. He is faithful with his provision. He is faithful. And when we hurt, when we have been hurt or when we get scared or whatever, we cry out to him and we hold on to him and we ask him for help and he helps us. The prophet Micah talked about how he would be our peace and the apostle Paul said he is our peace. So, oh my goodness, may we be so aware of the Prince of Peace. May we be so aware of how he cares for us. I've asked David to sing a song, and I know he's not the worship DJ, but sometimes I ask him about different songs. And this is an old one. Some of you were, yay, barely not born. I mean, not super old, but like 2001. But many of you will know it. But as we go into the new year, May we be so aware that we go with him. And I want to hold his hand, you know? I don't want to be wiggling out of it. I want to, I want to hold his hand. And I don't know if you want to come and pray. I mean, I, you know, if you do, great. If you don't, that's cool. Um, if there's anyone that would like to receive Jesus as their Savior or anyone that would like to join the church, we'd be happy campers for that. But if you want to just come and pray, because a new year is a big deal. And this new year is a big deal for us as a church in, in the choice of a senior pastor and whatever the Methodist church is going to choose to do. So, but we look to the Lord. We look to the Lord, right? So come as you would like to in this time. Why don't we stand and sing?